everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Hello, and we would like to issue a couple of statements, us at Malthouse Games. Let's be serious. Go ahead. First of all, to my listeners, I want to extend a heartfelt and full apology for last episode. I had consumed 1.5 ounces of beer before I fell asleep in the middle of recording the episode. <laughs> she literally, before this episode, asked me, what game did we do last time? I was like, Spirit Island. She's like, no, that was a couple episodes ago, right? I was like, no, that was the last episode. Here's the thing. Literally, I had an ounce and a half of beer. It wasn't like I was intoxicated. I was just 30 after 9 p.m. That was me. Essentially, yes, that was you. I fell asleep so many times that episode. I felt so bad. I had to get up and walk around and do my little shuffle to the kitchen to get a glass of water. And then I came back in here and I pushed through, but also know I was not the most lively last episode. So this time we're actually recording before 9 p.m. We are. We're actually recording right now. It is 616. Wrestling starts at 7. So we've we've got a schedule to stick to. Hell yeah, brother. That means let's get to the first beer before no, 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 we no, do no. our banter. We have a second statement to make. What's our second statement? Delton. What? What did you do? I won. What'd you win? A titty comic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. All right. Hold on. Delton Quick story. Delton is pro free the titty. I have told you that I've recently gotten into comic books and like collecting vintage toys and stuff, right? I've always loved action figures. I have a bunch of Funko Pops, a bunch of small figures here and there. Uh, Zach for my birthday bought me this awesome uh, Dokken Battle Trunks from Dragon Ball Z that I've had in the living room. Uh, recently, he bought me an awesome Zoro from One Piece, and I love it. Uh, well, I've been watching, as I've talked about in the last episode, I think, Ethan Page from AEW does a toy vlog every Sunday where they go toy hunting. So I've been like, man, I want to do that, right? So I've got a couple vintage things that I've bought, and by vintage, I mean they're really bad quality older toys, such as my Chuck Norris from Karate Commandos. I also bought a, a Dragonheart action figure and an awesome diecast Dracula uh, little NASCAR. Uh, essentially, it's a Hot Wheels without being branded Hot Wheels. Yes, awesome. It was like a Napa. Those are awesome. Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, and then my new gargoyle figure that I have to get the rest of. That anyway, is awesome. Uh, Ethan Page has an invite. He, you can use a code for the app that's called Whatnot. Whatnot is a live auctioning app where people get on there and they auction things and they set it. And basically, people do comics and action figures and clothing and everything you can think of. Well, for the comics... They do, hey, here's this comic, starts at three bucks, you get 20 seconds or something, whatever they set it. Somebody can say, I bid for the $3. Someone else can say, I bid for $4. And whoever wins it, gets it, and it pays for it, whatever. Well, you get a free $10 whenever you accept someone's invite to it, and then once you spend that 10 they get 10 as well. Uh, well, I was on there, been looking around, you know, spent some of it getting a comic, and then I was on there today looking, and I hopped into one of the comic channels, and it was a giveaway, and I was like, cool. If they do a giveaway, you don't pay shipping or anything, and it automatically registers it as a sale with credit, which means you don't pay anything. So I enter the giveaway, and the giveaway is for a swimsuit edition of an X-Men comic with a rogue on the cover. So it's basically a titty comic. It's worth like 25 bucks if it's in great condition. I got it for free. I'm not upset that I hopped in randomly and it was a swimsuit edition. So anyway, though, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Delton is pro free titty. I am. So yeah, that's what we've been up to in the three and a half days since we last talked to you. I slept. Finally. Yes. At the appropriate time. At the appropriate time. Uh, we went comic hunting a little bit. Delton's been comic hunting online. 
had a couple of full days. We, we just of stopped work. into the Goodwill because I knew they had a couple. Yeah. Uh, whenever we were getting cat food. And then after that, we got COVID tests. So that way we can make sure we are GTG for Nick and Jennifer's this weekend. Yes, we got our COVID test today uh, within our 72-hour window from when our flight will be leaving and we'll be in the air. Very excited. Hopefully that comes back in 24 hours because it used to. We'll see. Yeah, so by the time this episode comes out, we will be coming home from Nick and Jennifer's. And so the next episode, we'll have a full podcast full of stories and adventures and some Oregonian beer. We'll have a bunch of stuff. Speaking of beer, the first beer for this episode is from Big Sky Brewing Co. out of Montana. It is Trout Slayer, a wheat pale ale. It says a bigger tail with every ale. It smells really sweet. It does smell sweeter than I expected. You can get a little bit of that wheat in there. It almost smells like an orange gummy. It's a very wheat-heavy pale ale. It's got the lightness of a pale ale. You know, it's that, like, not quite an amber color, but kind of like a little bit darker yellow. It's a little bit of haze in it, but not much. But that little bit of wheat adds, like, a slight tartness and a slight bit of that, whatever that smell is of almost citrusy. It's a hearty pale ale that smells like orange gummies. It's, it's pretty good, though. That's I like a, that. That's a nice light beer. It's nothing fancy. It's only 5% alcohol by volume, but it's like, pretty good. Anytime I try Trout, or a, I'm sorry, Big Sky Brewery, I just feel like I need to be in the mountains or like riding a four-wheeler trout fishing with my bare hands. Well, first of all, you shouldn't be having bare hands. Sounds like you heard a bear. It's my superpower. Mm-hmm. You're the bare hand lady? Yes. I'll put you in a, a carnival show. You've heard of the bare naked ladies. Oh, the bare handed ladies. Bare handed ladies. <laughs> oh, my God. We've lost like half our listeners we, by this point. We really have. Well, I th- guess with that being said, we've got to move forward with, it, with this episode. I'm stumbling as well. Let's get to the game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So the game for this episode is quite a doozy. The game today is Boone Lake. Boone Lake is published uh, in the U.S. by Capstone Games. Uh, it is designed by Alexander Pfister, illustrations by Clemens Franz, graphic design and layout by Adelier198, editing by Marcus Mueller, and English translation by Sybil and Bruce Whitehill. So Boone Lake was a brand new game in 2021 that hit my radar immediately because A, Capstone Games usually has a good track record, and B, Alexander Pfister is, I think, what I consider my favorite designer, or at least like my top two or three, right? I'm very, very high on Alexander Pfister. Uh, so when I saw this game coming out, I was like, uh, it was actually at, at BGG Con because Capstone had one in the hot games room. And then that little shop that brings the imports over was selling it for way too much. Uh, but I saw it and thought, I want to play that because it's, you know, uh, Alexander Pfister. So we finally busted this out last night and got a full play of it in. It took us about two hours and 40 minutes. So it's a little long, but I think Playing it again would speed that up by probably a lot, a good 40 to 50 minutes. And not starting the game at 8.30 p.m. on a Tuesday. Yes, when we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot to do before we go to Portland, so we've got to make sure to get this edited and get some house cleaning done and all kinds of stuff. So. And again, I'm worthless after 9 p.m. That's a very good point. Hey, we stayed up till 11 playing a thinky game. We did. My brain hurt after this one. Uh, so in Boone Lake, uh, it's basically one of those, let's just put a theme on because we need one. Uh, essentially it says you're in Boone Lake. It's an abandoned region along the shore of a lake with the same name. Uh, it's almost uninhabited except for a small group of people watching over nature, trying to develop life according to their own ideas. 
Uh, basically, you're coming in and trying to expand, uh, build some stuff, and make this an inhabitable, inhabitable place, and making sure the people of Boone Lake have what they need to prosper in the future. That's essentially the theme of the game, which is to say, no theme. Uh, but that's not what makes this game interesting. Uh, what makes the game interesting is actually the play of it, in my opinion. So, the way the game's going to play is you actually have three phases to every turn. The first phase, you're going to choose an action and carry it out. This is an action selection game. There's a little board of, let me count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven actions. You'll pick one, resolve it, do all that stuff. Then once you resolve it, you will advance your ship. So if you guys, uh, if you all have ever played Maracaibo by Alexander Pfister or Great Western Trail, where you're essentially following a path, no matter how you take your turns or what you do, you're always following some sort of path to the end and then starting back over, right? Both of those games do it. This game is not any different. You're following a path to the end, going back, following a path to the end, the game's going to be done. So you'll advance your ship along the river. Then you're going to push your action spaces together. So what it is, these uh, seven actions you get to choose from are in this little board where they're stacked, one at the top, and then they work their way down to the bottom, all seven of them, not in any order or anything. When you pick an action, you will actually remove it from its position and put it at the bottom, resolve the actions, move your ship, because where you uncovered it from tells you how much your ship can move up to, and then you slide it from the bottom to the top, and that way the action you most recently took is now at the bottom. The bottom two actions, if you take those, they are going to give you negative points for doing so. So it actually uh, hurts you to take the same action uh, two turns in a row, or for you to take an action, your opponent to take an action, and then you to take the same one again, uh, kind of thing, it, it's, you know, it will actually do bad things to you. So what makes this game fun for me is the action selection mixed with kind of everything else. I told Haley this game is a weird amalgamation of all kinds of mechanisms thrown together, but not really thrown. They actually integrate pretty well. So the way the little uh, tiles are, when you say, this is the action I'm picking, I'm going to pick this one. You're going to either take some money or you're going to play or discard a card. Discarding it's for money. Playing it gives you either an ongoing ability, an instant ability, or an end game scoring ability. Then you're going to take the action on the card, whether it be gain inhabitants, which are people, uh, basically taking them from the supply, putting them on your player board ready to use. You can uh, settle by putting tiles out. You can upgrade by turning a person that's on the board into a town and then that town into a settlement. Or you can put a cow on the board. You can, you know, do all sorts of just different things with these actions. Uh, but what happens with these is you do your card play in the beginning. Then you're going to take your action. And then after that, uh, all of these tiles except for one, you and everybody else will then take an action of the same type. So if uh, uh, we talked about this last term because it is action selections, kind of like Puerto Rico, Race for the Galaxy, Rising Sun, somebody picks the action, gets the biggest benefit, and then everybody gets to do something, right? They get to follow the action, essentially. Um, all of the actions in Boone Lake are going to follow that, except for one, where you're the only person that doesn't get to do it. So if you pick it, you get a strong action, but you don't get to follow. That's the main basis of the game. Everything else falls in line from there. It's rules about placing things on the board, uh, putting your person on the board, upgrading your person to a town, town into a settlement, how adjacency, you have to have so many things adjacent for a settlement. If you put a cow next to a town, you're going to get points for that. 
then there are different sections of scoring. You're going to have intermittent scoring. So you'll score at a quarter of the game, half of the game, three quarters of the game, and the end of the game. And that can change and be more beneficial depending on how much you've put on the board and all kinds of other different super I'm a Euro game. Look at me. Look at all the points and cards you're going to draw and the coins you're going to get. So there's a lot to the game, but the basic gist is you're picking an action, performing those, your friend is following it, and then you're done from there. So that's fairly simple and straightforward. What I like about it is I really like the aspect of picking an action, and then it goes on the bottom. Where it's at in its little stack depends on how far your ship can move, because where your ship moves will give you either coins or points or cards or a vase, which could be used to pay for cards in certain ways and things like that. Uh, I think that that's an interesting little interesting little gimmick to the game kind of uh and that was my first thing i think that caught my eye of like oh this is interesting one of the other things i find interesting is whenever you're taking those actions they have different colors uh you're gonna have two of them that are the daytime two of them are the sunset and two are nighttime when you pick those the card that you play because every time you pick an action except for the one the brown every time you pick one of those actions you're gonna either discard a card for coins or you're going to play a card it has to be matching the type whether it be daytime nighttime or sunset um so that kind of gives you some different ways to look at it and makes you actually think more about what action tile i'm choosing and i think that's the the big thing that it comes down to in this game for me is there's all these interesting mechanisms like that that i find fun but there's so much choice and ways to approach it uh that there are times especially early where it's kind of overwhelming yeah and like delton said like there's a lot to this game there are you know, dispatching your little people to, uh, there's a little bit of worker placement, there's a little bit of action selection, there's a little bit of card play, and it all works very well together, even though there's all these different components, you know, all these different uh, mechanics in the game. However, and I'm going to say this, I enjoyed the game, and I won the game, so I'm not salty. I enjoyed By a it. small margin. It was my, I had yeah, 282, and you had 293. Yeah, it was pretty small. So a couple last minute decisions really helped me there. So I enjoyed the game, but with this game, I don't really feel like anything stands out. Like Delton and I, uh, we went and got, like I said, we went and got our COVID test right before we recorded this podcast. And on the way back home, which was like a 25 minute drive, we were just talking about what theme we're going to do, what theme we're going to do, and kind of alluding to the theme of this episode. But really, I don't feel like anything in this game really stood out. Be like, oh yeah, I want to play Boone Lake again. The theme, like Delton said, is really just feels painted on. There's nothing special. I actually forgot what the theme was <laughs> of the game. And we're driving home and I said, all right, well, let's let's think of a topic. What was what was Boone Lake about again? <laughs> I could not remember. It did not stick out. And like nothing about the mechanics. Like, yes, it all worked well together. But I don't know. It just didn't. It just felt like a a game. It felt like I was playing a board game. It wasn't like I was playing. Agricola. It wasn't like I was playing even Oh My Goods, which is another game by him, uh, by Alexander Pfister. But it just felt like I was playing a game. I was doing an activity. And that's not a bad thing. It just, I just don't feel like this game stands out. I think that, uh, I feel like that is the biggest criticism of the game is that I like the action selection. I like the way when you place tiles, you get a reward and you can get more resources, right? The resources in this game, aside from coins and cards and people, the different other resources, uh, they act similar to if you've played Splendor. It's like, oh, I have this on my board. This indicates that if I have to ever pay with two red, 
this tells me I generate one red every turn when I need it like that, right? There's no actual token or marking. And that kind of stuff, like, I enjoy that kind of stuff, right? I like the way that the, uh, instead of playing a card on your turn, you can always play one of the four uh, scoring tile special projects that give you, like, a massive reward of, like, eight points, two people, six cards, or whatever. It's like, oh, that's really neat that instead of playing a card, you can do this if you have the money and whatnot. Like, I like so many different things about it. But the thing is, all of them are good. But like you said, none of it just grabs you and says, this is absolutely phenomenal. None of it sticks out to the point of saying, this is special. This does something new. This does something innovative. This does something we haven't seen in this way. It's kind of things we've seen in other games. It's things we've seen before. It's things we've seen from Alexander Pfister before. Now, not to knock it for that, because... I enjoy Alexander Pfister's style. I like the way his games are designed. I sit down to, we played this game and I enjoyed every minute of it after the first about quarter because the first quarter was learning and it was slow. After the first quarter, it picked up a bit. After the half, flew by. I'm going to say probably 65 to 70% of our playthrough was the first half of the game. And then it just sped up at the end because that was, the game has a progression like that, but also that's just how this game was with it in terms of like learning it. So it doesn't stand out as something spectacular. It's not a great Western trail. You know, it's not a um, the Mombasa that has like a very unique card play. It's It doesn't have anything like that. Uh, it even, you know, fo- picking an action and following it. I mean, that's uh, Broom... Is it Broom Service? Yeah, that's Broom Service with his, where you play Witches, right? We've seen it before. It's all good here. It all works together here. It's all fun here. It just doesn't do anything that grabs you and says, look at me, this is who I am, I'm doing something unique and special, I'm the next amazing thing. And maybe that's what kind of makes it special, is that it's able to, you know, make a conglomerate of all of those different mechanics and all those different ways to play into one functioning game that doesn't feel clunky, it feels very smooth, everything feels like it works together. But it just, I feel like the the theme of this game is just efficiency. Like, just... yeah. Hit all these goals. There's different goals, different ways you can make points. Do them as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And, like, that's the theme of the game. And that's fun and it's enjoyable. But I don't know. Like, I was telling Delton before we recorded, you know, I, I picked out the game for this episode. Like, Delton had already bought it. He bought it a couple of months ago. But we were Prime talking. Day. Prime Day. We were talking about, you know, what game do we want to do? And I said, well, let's do Boone Lake. And the reason why I picked it out was because it has a pretty lotus flower on the front. Like, oh, yeah, that seems really cool. I don't know what it's, it's about. It has like a pretty lotus flower against like an industrial background on a, and it's on a lake. Let's try that. It seems really neat. But then whenever we played it, and not that this is a good or bad thing, like the only thing that had a lotus flower is like it had it in some of the, the water on the board. And then the first player marker is a lotus flower. But it's like, why, why is there a lotus flower? I mean, it definitely drew my attention. So it did make it stand out in that way. But I don't know. It just, I don't know what I was expecting. And I wasn't let down, but I just I just left that game thinking, okay, I just played a game. I didn't I didn't leave it thinking again. I played code names, or I played Twilight Struggle. I played a board game. I think that's it. I think uh, the big thing with this game is it's a good game. If you're an Alexander Fister fan, you're gonna like the game. I really enjoyed it. I'm gonna keep it. It's gonna stay on my shelves because I like Alexander Fister. I think he's a great designer. Like I said, he's arguably my favorite, probably up there back and forth with Cole Worley. However, I've played more Alexander Fister games, but this game just doesn't do anything to bring itself to the forefront, to, to, to sit there on a shelf 
among all these other fantastic games and just say, hey, look at me. And, you know, it just it doesn't do something to just really strongly stand out. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So the topic for today, as you may have guessed from our transition into another transition into a transition, is what makes a game stand out? As you've heard in this conversation so far, before we get to the second beer, Boon Lake really doesn't. It doesn't stand out in a way. Not that it's a bad thing. I'm going to equate it to like, I'm going to equate it to like a Toyota Camry. It's a good car. It's going to last forever. You're going to be happy with it. You're never going to hate it. It's going to last. It's going to you know, treat you well. It drives well. It's a reputable company. It's good on gas mileage. It ticks all the boxes, but it's nothing special. The, your regular Toyota Camry is just, it's another nice Toyota car. Cool. All right, good. You've got, a, you've got your family sedan, you know. It's nothing special, but it does everything right. So it's not like you hate it, but you can always look and say, I really want that one day. I want this one day, right? And I feel like that's kind of where Boone Lake is. It's going to be your tried and true it's your trusty old Alexander Fister game that's this is going to get you there. If you want to play a Euro game, this one will do it. If you want some math and crunch, this one's got some of that. It's a good game. It just doesn't stand out from the crowd very well at all. Yes. <laughs> that's basically it. Before we get further, let's crack the second beer so we can get through this last uh, however many. We got like 22 minutes that I got to rush this. So this is from Cabin Boys Brewery. This is their Going Stag. Lee gave us this one. This is their Belgian-style single. Uh, they actually says they won an award at the American Beer Festival. I don't even know where that is. Uh, I don't see any other text. I don't see the alcohol percentage. I might just be very blind. Oh, I think it's from southeastern Oklahoma. 5.2 alcohol by volume. Cabin Boys Brewing in Tulsa. Oh, Tulsa. Northeastern Oklahoma. I lied. There you go. So I do have to say I do like the art on the can because it's Going Stag and it's like a really snazzily dressed deer on uh, the front. Uh, anthropomorphized deer. Yes. So this has a teensy, teensy bit of haze to it. It's a very pale, pale yellow. It smells Belgian because it's a Belgian single. I told Haley, uh, Belgian singles are, I think, my least favorite version of a Belgian. Doubles are okay. Triples are usually pretty good, but Belgian quads are literally my all-time favorite style of beer. Belgian singles are my least favorite Belgian. However, I like, I still think Belgians have the best beer in the world. Uh, I don't think anybody else competes. You get that little bit of like tartiness in there. Mm -hmm. I wish there was more like, I almost want a little biscuit. I want a little yeah. bit of that biscuit malt to come through. I don't even know if it's, I doubt it's made with that, but. It seems very sharp. Like the taste is, I feel like it needs some base. It hits, it does. It hits very sharp, very high end, but there's no base in it. Kind of like your voice when I have to add base through my uh, mixer and stuff and through after editing, mine too. Can you lower my voice at like three or four? More octaves? If you want, I can, but it's going to sound weird. Oh, it'll sound great. It's going to sound funky is what it's going to sound. All right, everybody but, email Delton. No, Give but people what they uh, want. It's, it's not a bad beer. It's Unlike you, though, it's kind of a basic. Tastes like a Belgian. Sharp. Carbonation up front. Dries out toward the back end. Afterward, leaves your mouth a little dry. It's but a beer. It's, it's, it's not anything fancy, so I think it's fine. It pairs well with Boon Lake. It's a beer. There, there you go. <laughs> So yeah, so back to the topic, what does make a board game stand out? As Haley said, whenever she picked Boone Lake, it was because of the artwork on the cover with that lotus flower. It's a pretty flower, and it's pink, and I love it. And I think one way that most people pick out board games a lot of times is by artwork, and I think that there's something to be said about that. I mean, you look at our shelves, and you see, you know, you see games like Wingspan, 
and like Mariposas and Preda Porter. And you get to see games like uh, Photosynthesis that's like all pretty, right? Or if you want something that's more people doing shit, you've got A Feast for Odin, Libertalia, the original with pirates on it. You've got Isle of Sky with the Scotsman. You've got King of Tokyo with a freaking Godzilla type thing. Uh, you know, some kind of kaiju. There's all kinds of boxes and all kinds of pretty things. And a visual element is something that can make a game stand out. And I think that's how Boone Lake, it got Haley with the cover of Standing Out. Um, and that's definitely something to consider because how many times do you pick up a game going, this looks pretty? And then you look at the back and go, mm, not for me, though. So true story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first time you had mentioned playing Quacks of Quedlinburg, the only reason why I was so excited to play is because I thought it was about ducks. Yeah, the name Quacks instead of Crazy Doctors. I was like, ah, oh, Quacks. I don't know why. But I just yep. had it in my head that I was going to play a duck game. And then we sat down and it's all these potions. And I'm like, what the hell am I playing? What am I playing here? I mean, that's a, an, an absolutely fair thing, though, is the name of a game, right? If you come to me with a game, I mean, uh, I'm going to look at a game on my shelf that I heard the name of, maybe, if there is one. I don't know. Uh, back when I was uh, first getting into board games, uh, Days of Wonder, Cleopatra. Name, immediately wanted to pick the box up, look at the artwork, sold. Didn't need anything else. That's all it took, because I was like, boom, this artwork, this everything, it makes it awesome. Now, that game stands out for a different reason, which is table presence. Physical pieces you're building on the board, you know, uh, that's a big thing for that. And you get to feed your friends to the alligators. Uh, yes, if they're too corrupt, you do. But so one of the ways the game stands out is that. It's titles, it's artwork, it's something visual in that way, right? The next thing I think that makes a game stand out is when a game just has some something that's exceptionally well done. Now, this could be anything from, honestly, artwork. You look at a game like Predaporter. Predaporter's a good game. It's a fun game. The artwork in it is gorgeous. All around in that game, it's beautiful. You look at, uh, I'm trying to look at my shelves now to come up with other games that are just beautiful games, right? Raiders of the North Sea. It looks great on the table. It's eye-catching. You immediately go to it and go, ooh, what's this? That's pretty. How does this work, right? Uh, You pull out something, uh, let's see. Photosynthesis has an amazing table presence, right? If you're playing that and someone doesn't know what it is and they stop and go, oh, that looks cool. What's that with those trees, right? It's something to consider because there is that uh, that presence, that table presence, which is kind of a big thing. Uh, Boone Lake's table presence looks like a crunchy Euro game, which I'm fine with because I like crunchy Euro games. But if you put it on a table set up and you walk in a room in a, in a board game convention, it's not going to stand out. People are going to go, ooh, ah, I want to play that like they do. Something like, like Delton said, photosynthesis. Or when uh, Teotihuacan came out. Uh, when Teotihuacan, I feel like I'm saying that wrong. When that came out, the minute I saw it, I was like, oh, this looks cool. And I have it now, thanks to Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, and I need to pick that up and actually get through a full play of it so we can do it on the podcast. But that's another one that table presence is a big thing. So that's another way a game can stand out. And so for me, too, it's also the theme. Because I know I've talked about this in previous episodes, but I'm a really big theme person. I will get into character, whether or not it is a role-playing game. I'm going to play as my character. Like whenever I worked, or I think it was in Agricola, like one of my things was like the brewer or something like that. And I had a completely vegan farm. And that's how I've won almost all games of Agricola, except for that one time Mac beat me. But like whenever I take on a role in the game, I, or when we have a theme of the game, I really like to get into it. It just makes it more fun for me. And so even if the mechanics are crap, if there's a good theme and I feel like I can get into it, I'm going to remember that game. Because, I mean, I've talked about my preference for games. Yes, I like the crunchy Euro games. And yes, I like the party games. But I also like 
know the silly games, like the cat-themed games. I'm going to pick up a game because I get to feed cats. I get to be like a crazy cat lady, and I love it. And that doesn't mean that it has the most stellar mechanics in the world. It doesn't mean it's the you know most cleverly uh, crafted game or has the best components. But I like the theme. I would play a game with the really crappy components, with really uh, lame mechanics, if it means I have a really cool and fun theme to play with. I think that makes perfect sense, too. And there is something to be said, and maybe this is an episode that we need to do in the future. There is a difference between theme, setting, and art, right? Artwork is a depiction of the theme or the setting, but the theme and the setting, there is a differentiating factor there. I'm not going to try to get into that now because, A, I honestly couldn't tell you. There's a whole deep conversation behind, like, artwork and aesthetics, and I believe that there is a form of philosophy that's, like, aesthetical philosophy, right? Philosophy of aesthetics, and I think that that plays into it, and that's something I would have to research a little. You just also want to make sure you get to wrestling in the next 13 minutes. That is a good point. We got 14. It's fine. Luckily, it's easy to just go beep, boop, beep, boop, and it's on because the TV might be on right now. Uh, But anyway, there is a conversation there to be had. For the moment, I'm going to take setting and theme, blend them into one, call it a theme, and ignore artwork. Theming is definitely something big. Wingspan is all about bird watching and putting these birds, right? That's an entertaining theme for us. We like nature. The same reason parks work so well. You're hiking. You're taking photos, right? That's the whole theme of that game. That's what you're doing. Uh, You know, 1960 Making of the President is a famous presidential election you get to play out again, and that's the game I know we've talked about before that I introduced you to as one of the first games you played. Pretty hefty one for your first game. Uh, I now have our original Z-Man and a still-in-shrink GMT uh, edition that I had purchased for us, but theme is something definitely that is to be considered even above artwork because there's so many themes. I mean, I bought Hippocrates without knowing that the game was going to be good. I bought it because I said, I love this theme. I want Hippocrates. Uh, The same thing with, uh, like, when I was younger and I got Memoir 44. I thought, I get to play out World War II scenarios on this neat, you know, kind of minis battle thing. That's fun. Viticulture. I get to make wine? I'm going to be a winemaker. And I was excited about it, right? And so theme really does stand out in certain ways. Because if you walk into a board game store, you took every Euro game off the shelf and put them up on a, all for display and told someone, pick the theme that you like the most. They're going to ignore all of these, you know, the Boone Lakes, the Settlers of Catan, the Agricolas, the, the nature, the farming, the settling, the co- colonialism, all that shit's going to go out the window. And they're going to look at stuff like Pret-a-Porter. They're going to look at stuff like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Scythe because it's gorgeous. Uh, They're going to look at games that are just different, that break the mold a little bit in their setting. Whether they're Viking fans and they want that. They're animal fans and what they want that. Whether they're fans of making cars so they go for Kanban. You know, there's different elements in the themes that you can go for. And that is something that can truly make a game stand out. Because if I'm in a store and you're showing me a, se- so- showing me a shelf of sci-fi, I'm probably going to walk past it pretty quick. Because I'm not a huge sci-fi fan the theme is going to matter. It will make a game stand out and you have to break the mold in that realm that you're in. You think I'd play Kitty Paw if the theme was like bugs? Probably not. Probably not. Like it's Kitty Paw, it's a basic game, but it's kitties. I mean, and I love it. That is how Calico snuck in and stole the show. Calico said, "You're, you're making a quilt to attract cats. And everyone in the world said, I'm on it. And then they played the game and said, this has nothing to do with that. And I love it because it's an amazingly hard puzzle game. 
And I think that brings us to probably what I would say is the last section is the mechanics. Like you can have a really bad theme, but really good mechanics or something creative or something different. Yeah. And, you know, that can make a game stand out as well. Because I think Delton's talked about it before in previous episodes. Like a lot of board games have kind of painted on themes or pasted on themes. Like we had a friend who uh, she she worked in game design and she said like she would tell a lot of people who came to demo games for her, forget about the theme. Because if a company is going to get your game, they're probably just going to get the game. They're yep. not going to care about the theme. They're going to put their own theme on. Yep. And so even if you have a theme that's pasted on, if you have like a creative mechanic or if you have like a, a creative way that the game is played, then that can really be something that draws you in. Exactly. It really can. So an example of this, I have two good examples of why, uh, actually I'll probably do three, of how mechanics can override everything and stand out for how good mechanically the game is, right? First one, Pipeline. It's another Capstone Games. Uh, it is Ryan Courtney is the designer. Pipeline is this ridiculous engine building game of connecting pipes and selling and trading oil. Sounds bland. Nobody wants that theme. What are you doing? Uh, yes, it's a gorgeous box, which has helped. But when you play the game of Pipeline, if you have the mindset of, if you like the games of the, the, the Polyomino games, right? The tetris if you like stuff like Patchwork, then Pipeline is a heavy Euro version of that. It gets you in and says, this is a good game. Here you go. Have fun. Uh, and so that's one that once you play it, you go, this is really good. It's a good game. And once you play that, you've determined, all right, I like this. This is a fun game. I'm going to play it again. If you told someone, I got a game about pipelines where you're just piping oil, they're going to be like, why? I don't know, man. My family loved it. I, well, that's a whole other conversation we have with a therapist, I think. <laughs> but most people don't want to do that in a game. However, pipelines mechanics are good enough to warrant it. Uh, my second example that I was going to do, I'm completely blanking on right now, so I'll move to my third. Uh, now, given I haven't actually played many games like this, but Crusaders, Thy Will Be Done, which is a... What's his name? Is it Seth Jaffe from TMG? Orange yeah. and White Blocks. Yeah. Bo Seth, blocks. Box. Seth, Seth Jaffe. Seth Jaffe, okay. Crusaders Thy Will Be Done has a rondelle action system. You move your little piece in a circle around this rondelle, choosing the actions that you want rondelles a lot of people claim that like the first big rondelle in board games is trajan which is a stefan feld game and a lot of people really really love trajan i had to dig deep in my brain for that one and i've never got to play it but a lot of people love it because that rondelle action system is something different it stands out as a mechanic of something an interesting and newer way to manipulate your action selection options or how you play uh, uh the along the same lines is Sulkin, the Mayan calendar. Sulkin has those interesting gears that turn and those gears move different rewards, move your people and do all this different stuff that can then alter how you have to approach and play the game. That mechanically is unique and different. Yes, there is an actual gimmicked fixture of those gears turning, but it's a mechanic that's interesting. It's something different and it makes you go, this is really cool. I want to play this again because this is neat. So I think that mechanics or mechanisms are the main thing that's going to not necessarily bring people to a game, but it will keep that game there standing out. There's a reason people still love Sulkin. They still like Pipeline. A reason people still love Quacks, because those mechanisms stand out because of how good or how well they're implemented. I think you made a good point there. Like, the themes will bring people to it, but it's the mechanics that will keep them playing and playing and playing again. That's why there's so many games that get pushed to the wayside, or so many games that I've purchased and said, 
I'm going to sell this game now because it doesn't hold me here because it's not the me mechanisms and mechanics are not good enough for me to uh, basically keep it around, right? There's not many games I have that are just artwork is why I keep this. It's the play of the game is why I keep this. Something like Delphi, which is another Stefan Feld, Delphi is a good game. It's a pick up and deliver. It was interesting. It was fun. It wasn't anything crazy different mechanically. The artwork, I will keep it because thematically, I love the Oracle of Delphi, that whole you know, part of history and mythology and stuff like that. That's just awesome, the Pythia. But mechanically, it is a good game, but there's better pick up and deliver games. So you know, it kind of plays to each person's own likes and dislikes, how they want to curate their collection. That all comes into play. But I think, like you said, artwork and theme can bring people in. And then the mechanisms or the play of the game is usually what keeps it in a collection or skyrockets the game to fame. And I don't think you have to have all of it to be a good game. No. Like you can have, a, like I said, a really boring theme with great mechanics. You can have, for me, a really great theme with really terrible mechanics. I'm probably going to stick around for it. But I think that, you know, those are the things that really draw people in, whether it's to purchase or to keep. And I like Boon Lake, but... If an alien came to Earth and said, what is the best board game? I would show them Boon Lake. It is a board game. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So the question for this episode is Ailey, as Ailey, alien, as the, alien, as the alien has already answered is, if aliens come to Earth and they said, what's the most board game board game, what would it be? I know I said Boon Lake, but I feel like that's a cop-out. Kind of, it kind of is, but it's kind of fitting, too. <laughs> yes, it is. So I have another one. Okay, what's that? I, I, you said it earlier, but I, I think I would show them 1960 Making with the President. Because history. You, history. You have history. You have area control. You have you know different kinds of cards that you can use. Um, there's a lot of different strategies you can take. I feel like that is a very board game, board game, in a way. That's true. I think for me... If the alien said, show me the most board game, board game, I want to know one game that is the epitome of all board games. The hard part here is not looking at the most influential and going back to chess, right? Mm, yeah. it, it's a similar argument, and I'm going to, even though we only have five minutes, I'm going to get into this. It's a similar argument when people say the greatest bands of all time, right? And somebody throws out a name like, uh, they say, you know, greatest bands of all time, and they throw out something like Judas Priest. Okay. Didn't no, say no, the, listen, listen, I'm saying somebody else. You're going to say Beatles every time. Beatles. But here's the thing. Yes, they may have been amazing. Yes, they are fun to listen to. They're super influential. But at what point are they truly the greatest of all time based on their music versus their influence on future music? Because musicality has advanced to the point of absolutely insane things in the modern era, the way people can make and, prog and uh, progressively uh, utilize all this technology and utilize new studies and all this stuff, right. To come up with new and interesting and amazing music at what, why can't that be considered as good as that just based on popularity and influential status. Right. And that's just a whole other thing because you've got classical music, of course, that will probably never be put out of its place, but still, you're not wrong. I'm just mad about it. It's a weird, it's a weird concept. I get into a lot with people is just because they're very influential doesn't mean they're better as a musician, as a writer, as anything than somebody now, it's just that you don't want to for, like you don't want to push that out and say somebody else can actually be better. It's okay, and it's not just on you. I do the same shit all the time. But anyway, 
uh, I feel like board games are that way, which makes it hard not to say chess because chess is the most influential. It is the one of the original things. But I think if I was going to say the most board gamey board game, I would probably do Catan ah. because it is very influential, but it has social interaction with trading. It kind of not really has placement, but sort of has placement of tiles and your roads and stuff. It's got some resource management. So I feel like it kind of is a classic that's also still a modern classic. So that's probably my answer. It's probably a bad one, but there you go. I like it. That was a weird rant. But I think that's going to be the end of this episode because I have two minutes to get into the TV so I can watch wrestling because we got John Moxley versus Jericho for the interim title. And oh, I got to watch it. Sumbuck. You know they're going to start the show with it is my oh, guess. Oh, hell yeah. Or at least it might be the main event. I don't know. Anyway, Let's thank go. you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast episode 125. I want to give a big shout out to our Patreon patrons. Thank you so much to Allison, Alan, Jennifer, and Cliff. Jennifer, very excited to see you and your lovely husband, Nick, and your lovely dog, Jasper, in Portland. I give you uh, a birthday present. Literally in three days? Less than three days. A little over. It'll be Saturday night. Time change. Science. It's about the same time. Three days from now, we will be seeing you. Very excited for that. Uh, if anybody wants to follow us on social media, make sure to do that at Malthouse Games. Make sure to send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com if you want to have us discuss a topic cover a question, find a beer, or if there's a game you want us to play and talk about. You can follow us on all social media. I'm personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. Haley is at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. I think that's everything. I flew through all of this. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to episode 125. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. See you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.